Amen. Thank you so much. And it is so great to be here to worship with you this morning. And I just want to start by telling you this morning we're going to do a sermon about good news. But before you get good news, most of the time you get some bad news. So I just wanted to tell you a, little, a story that uh, happened in 1989 with Linda and I. Uh, it was her wedding shower. And as she was driving back from the wedding shower, uh, she was driving down the road and she could literally see cars coming straight at her. She pulled off on the side of the road, and of course it was such a traumatic thing, and we didn't know what to do. We made our ways to the doctor, and my future in-laws were there, and they gave us some pretty bad news. They said, look, we believe that this is a tumor. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember being in that doctor's office and uh, I remember my father-in-law, I'm smiling because he <laughs> had such a way of, of making things light. And the doctor took the x-ray of my future wife's uh, brain and he put it up, you know how they put it in the, the light thing and I don't even know what you call it, but he put it up against the window where the light was shining in and my father-in-law just looked at us and he said, well, what if there was like a bird dropping or something on there and that kind of showed on the, on the x-ray so we were all laughing, but again, this was not good news. But the good news was that it was something called a benign pseudotumor, and it was fluid that was pushing her eyes out so she would see double. And steroids took care of it, and the good news is that she was not going to die of a brain tumor. But think of the news that you're hearing today. Think of the news that we all hear every single day. We are living in times we've never lived in before. We are living in a time where we know that we could die. Where I believe before, most of us thought, I got 80, 90 years, I'm not going to die. I got retirement, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And now we know people who are dying. We know people who have passed away. We understand that our very breath can end at any second. So we're going to learn about good news today. And I thought about this as I was sitting there and I was listening to David and Stephanie and Gabby play, and I, I, I thought of, as I sat there, what if I came up and I just did this? And I had nothing to say. I had no good news. But we have good news. They sang about it. Listen to this. Listen in Mark 10.45. Listen. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That is the good news. I know my Savior lives. I know he died for me. So we're going to be studying the book of Mark. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, taking a chapter of the book of Mark. I just want to give you a little bit of a background about the book of Mark. It was written by John Mark. It's, it's really pretty much the shortest gospel. And it's, it's also... It's the shortest one, uh, but also it's the first. It's pretty much they believe it was the first gospel. It was written by John Mark. His mother was Mary. And you think of it this way. He was really involved in the gospels where his mother Mary, it was her home that Peter went to when he got out of prison. So I love this about Mark, and I love it about Peter too, that they failed, and they had failures. And I think of this all the time that a lot of people think, I'm a failure. I can't come to God. He won't, he won't want me to come because I'm not perfect. That is a lie. 
God wants you to come. Mark failed. And yet, at the end of his life, Paul said that he was useful for ministry. Peter, Peter, who is basically giving his testimony to Mark as he writes this gospel, Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. He denied him and said, I don't even know him. And God restores him. So if you're sitting there today and you feel like a failure, God is saying, come to me. That's who I want. I want you because God knows that you are not perfect, that you're a sinner, and he loves you. Mark may have been the young man in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he had a a tunic around him and it was ripped off of him and he ran away. That may have been Mark. Mark's book is more about Jesus' deeds and his actions. Where Matthew, if you look at Matthew, it's more about what Jesus said. But this is more about what he did. And you'll notice, too, it's written to Roman Christians, and you could kind of pick up on that because when you look at the book, there's no genealogy. Matthew starts, gives you this long list, and you don't see that at all in Mark. I love the word immediately, and you get that in this book. In all the Old Testament, it's 79 times. Do you know, out of the 79 times, 41 of them are in Mark. And it really shows Jesus, the book of Mark, shows Jesus as a suffering servant. And I would, if I were you, I would, I would look at Isaiah 53 and read through that psalm and go through it. And, and the book is in three parts. We have chapters 1 to 8, where they're in Galilee. And it really is who, this is who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And then you get to chapters 8 to 10, they're in Jerusalem, and guess what? His followers are struggling with who he is. Is this really the Son of God? And then you get chapters 11 to 16, he's moving from here to there, and it's really coming to a point where Jesus becomes the true king. Again, I mentioned Mark and Peter about having failures, and that really resonates with me. I am frightened of being a failure. I feel like a failure. Sometimes I just that weighs on me all the time. There's great encouragement of knowing that God is saying to you, I love you. My son died for you. Come to me. And that's, that's the good news. You know, the people in Mark's time, they were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a king. They were looking for somebody different than Jesus, though. And Jesus comes. He is the true king. I love Psalm 103. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Now, if you turn to your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible with you. Because everything that we do here, we're taking from God's Word. So if you open your Bible and go to Mark 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was, Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, 
and his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you save. You save us from our sins that we cannot cleanse, we cannot clean, we cannot get rid of. It's only through your blood and resurrection on the cross. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So we think about good news. And Linda was watching TV one night and she was um, watching this show. And I sat and was watching it with her. And it's, if you ever watch The Office, there's this guy called John Krasinski. And he has a new show so, called Some Good News. And it's really wonderful because he has all good news on it. And he had this example, a recent example, of a mailman. His name is Kyle. And I had a picture of it. I don't have it with me now, but I took a picture of his note. And he has 400 homes that he delivers mail to. And he put this note in their mailbox and it said, this is mailman Kyle. I just want you to know if you need any essential things, I will do my best to help you. Mailman Kyle. And it was a great note. He had some <laughs> pretty good fonts on it and everything. Do you know, do you know that out of the 400, he said almost every single person contacted him. That is good news, but it also shows that people are in need of help. That people need help. Good news. Mark starts his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the beginning of Jesus' gospel. Gospel means good news. Euangelion. The gospel. That's the Greek term. It means that Jesus is the king. And it means that the king that they were looking for in Jerusalem, and maybe the king you're looking for in your life, is different really than who Jesus is. Because he is the true king, alive. And he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and he is alive. And he is your redeemer, he's my redeemer, he's, he's my king, and he's the only one who could do that. That's the good news of the gospel. He gave his life for you, and he could only do it because he's all man and all God. Just think about this. Is that true in your life? Do you have that good news? Do you believe that good news? I remember a crisis of faith in my life when, when I was struggling and struggling and struggling, and I was like, I don't know if I believe. I don't know. And I, I remember the feelings now. They were horrible. But if you're in a crisis of faith, that's a good thing. Struggle with it. Let God work on your heart and your soul and your mind. If God is calling you to himself, it's probably not going to be something that happens in a second. It's going to be over time. Jesus. Jesus' name. You know, I love the fact that everyone staring at me right now and everyone listening to me right now has a name that has meaning. A special meaning. And sometimes when Linda and I are watching TV or watch a movie and I'm, I'm really annoying, I'll take my phone out and she'll be like, what are you doing? And I'll be like, 
I have just looked up everyone's name. I've looked up where they lived, where they grew up, when they died. It's like, aren't you watching the movie? I'm like, no, I'm kind of. So if you want to right now, take out your phone and Google your name and see what it means. Think of some of the meanings. Patricia means noble woman. The name Michael is so cool. It means who is God? It's a rhetorical question. Basically, it's no one. Nobody's like God. Nobody can save your soul. Nobody can help you but God spiritually. And the name Christ is not his last name. It's, it's more basically, it's his title. It means he's the anointed one. Jesus means God is salvation. God is my salvation. Do you believe that? That his name means God is salvation. You can't get better news. You really can't get better news than that because every single one of us, whether we admit it or not, we are looking to be saved. And you may be looking in different ways and in different areas and different places, but you are. And the salvation that you need only comes from Jesus. Jesus is God and man in one person. He's the Messiah. He came from God and He is equal with God, fully man and fully God. And he's the only one that can save you. I was reading uh, Tim Challies. I don't even know if I said his name right, but he has a great blog. And I was reading him, and he, had the, he was talking about the soldier at the cross. So in Mark, in Mark, what we'll learn is he depicts um, these stories in beautiful, almost like beautiful portraits and paintings. And the soldier at the cross, when Jesus is being crucified, he's standing there, and he has been in charge of everything from the beginning. You have to believe that this soldier, who is a centurion in charge over a hundred soldiers, knew exactly what was going on. He had seen people crucified day in and day out. And there he is, he's standing there. And he's watching this. We have to believe that he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they, they know not what they do. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's asking God to forgive you and me. There he is. He, he, the soldier could see him looking down and taking care of his mother Mary, making sure she was taken care of. The soldier could see as the thief on the cross, the two thieves are cursing at him. And then he could see when Jesus turns around, when the one thief says, will you remember me? And Jesus says, you will, I will remember you. You will be in paradise with me today. The soldier could see the darkness. He could see the earthquake. He could feel it. And this is what this soldier, who had seen crucifixion after crucifixion, this is what he said, and he had never said it before. And as he looks up at Jesus, he said, Surely, truly, this is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Truly, this is the Son of God. What do you say? Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say I am? You know, if you open your Bible, and if you're listening to me, God is asking you, God is asking you, who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Peter said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, you are right. Our Redeemer is able to, to, to redeem completely. Jesus is able to save completely. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, O come to Him, 
Actually, it doesn't say that. Those are my words. It says he is mighty God. He is mighty God. The second point is Jesus was sent by God. You know, when a king comes, when a king comes into a town, especially back then in Jerusalem, the red carpet, I, you can't see it, but I'm staring at a red carpet. And it is straight down the middle. And when a king comes, everybody makes everything look perfect. They repaint, they put flowers out, because you want to make sure the king knows that you're welcoming him. And this is exactly what we're going to learn about, that God is sending a messenger before Jesus, that God is sending the messenger. You know, I love it when the State of the Union comes and you have that person that, I wait for this. You have this guy comes out and he just stands there. I'm like, I want that job. I want to be that guy who comes out and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States of America. And then you have all these people, haters. They hate the President and yet they come over and they're like, hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you. And then you get the people who love him. They, they have haters and lovers. They all want to be on the camera. They all want to be there. Everybody comes out. And they were waiting for a king. You know, my, my son-in-law and my daughter have a cat. His name is Chrome. He will run up the stairs and run in front of them, meowing like crazy to announce they're coming into the room pretty much. It is a, it is a pretty cool thing for a cat. But those are, the, you think of that, that that way. A king, when they come into the room, when a king comes in, they're going to be announced. Mark. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, As it is written, Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger. God is sending his messenger. John has come. He is proclaiming Jesus and He's the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make ready the way of God who is coming. He's the only one that can save your soul. Make his path straight. And as I studied this and I thought about it, isn't that what, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in God, isn't that we're, what we're supposed to be doing? You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. But we're supposed to be telling people about our Savior, about our Redeemer, and then letting God take it from there. John's main message, repent. Now, I've heard people say that before, and I always think, I don't really like that word. It's a negative word. I mean, I'm serious. People will say, we need to repent. I'm like, I don't need to repent. What are you talking about? What do I got to repent of? I don't have to repent. But as I studied this, man, I need to repent. Repentance basically is admitting that you're a sinner and you need God. You need a, a completely new start and that you are turning completely around. Completely around. You're coming to God completely. Repentance is a beautiful gift. It's one of the greatest gifts you'll ever receive. And the reason why it is is because you, you are receiving a gift and you're being kept from destruction. Do you know that if, without being saved through faith in Jesus Christ, 
there, you will. There is condemnation. If you have Jesus Christ, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful gift from God. But there's also people who have repented and you can see that really didn't, that really wasn't repentance. You look at Saul, King Saul in the Bible. You look at Pharaoh. You look at these people and you understand, yes, they may be saying things out of their mouths, but that doesn't mean anything. True repentance only is a changed life. Look at David. Look at what David. David's life, what a mess. He had such great triumphs and such horrible tragedies. Murder, adultery, and yet his repentance, when God came to him through a prophet, his repentance was true. And we know that because he had such a changed life. And this is what he said, I have sinned against God. When we repent, that's the main thing. You have sinned against God. Yes, you may have hurt other people. Yes, other people may have been damaged. But you have sinned against God. And until we get to that point that we could say, God, I have sinned against you, there really isn't any true repentance. The evidence, as I've already said, of true repentance is a changed life. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. God, part of the gift is God saying, I know you're a sinner. I know you're a mess. And the gift is God is saying, I am full of grace and mercy and come to me. I want you to come to me because I love you and I care about you. John's baptism did not save. It was unto sins. Basically, John was preparing the way for Jesus. So really, what, what John's baptism was a beautiful symbol getting people ready when you think of baptism you think of people going in the water that's death i mean if you go under the water and you don't come back up you're dead i mean try it well don't try it but i mean if you held your breath you're not coming back up but when you come back up that's a beautiful picture of the resurrection of life and that's what baptism is Also, let's look at John. Do you see the way that he is living? He is saying, don't look at me, look at God. And that's the way we're supposed to live our lives. Don't look at me, look at God. Look to Him. Don't look at me. Pastor Lenny spoke last week, and I loved the way he he did his sermon, and it was, but God. And I loved it. So listen to this verse. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And our last point is Jesus saves. You know, I've always heard this. I hadn't seen it, but I've always heard that, our, that we have a, an older church that sits out on Middle Country Road. And I've always heard people say they missed the sign. There's a sign out there and it said, Jesus saves. That is really our mission here. If you are a believer and you're a Christian, that is our mission. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus saves. John couldn't save anybody. Do you know all the people that came out to see John? All of Jerusalem came out. Hundreds, if not thousands of people flocked to him. 
Do you know how many people were left after Jesus rose from the dead? It's like 120 people. Yeah, popularity is great, but who was with John when he was in prison or when he had his head cut off? Jesus is the only one who saves. Nick Camelone is going to be preaching next week, and I believe he's going to be preaching in chapter 2, and he will cover this in more detail, but I found it very hard not to go over this, that Mark paints a beautiful portrait, a picture of that Jesus is the only one who saves. And it's the story of the paralytic. You know, there's four friends. Four friends that know that Jesus can make their friend walk again. That's what they want. They want their friend not to be paralyzed anymore. They want him to be able to walk. They want him to be able to get up. And they are going to do anything to save their friend. They will do anything. So they're holding on to, to the corners. And they get to the house where Jesus is. And it's so crowded. Inside there's so many people. Outside there's so many people. And there is no way to get to Jesus. And these men carry him up on the roof, tear a hole in the roof, and lower him down. And Jesus, seeing their faith, he says these words to this young man, your faith has, has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is the only one that could say that. I can also be very honest with you. I don't understand it. I mean, I don't understand my salvation. I don't understand why God would save me but I know and I believe it without a doubt that God has said that my sins are forgiven. You know, um, one of the worst news I had ever gotten, I was at work, I got a phone call, and someone said that my wife's father, Bob Pulse, had a heart attack. And I, as fast as I could, I got to where he was, and by that time he was already at the hospital, and they relayed the story how, and I had already known this in the morning, he was just like a regular day. It was a regular day, like any other day. Drinking his coffee, we were there with him, and um, he was going bowling with my mother-in-law, just like they always did. And um, as I was told, he was at the bowling alley, and he put his head back. And his friend said, God bless you, Bob, because they thought he was going to sneeze. He didn't grab his arm, he didn't grab his chest, he was gone. In a second, he was gone. That is bad news. The bad news is we're all going to die. Every single one of us. The good news of that was I remember sitting here and looking up here as my kids and my wife stood here and they all proclaimed that my father-in-law knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and he was in heaven and he's in heaven with him now. That is the good news. I just want to read the end of Mark to you. It says, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. Although it was extremely large, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. 
They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Now listen. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now Mark basically ends his gospel there. There is other chapters there or other paragraphs, but it's believed they were added later. So it's believed that Mark actually ended the gospel of Jesus Christ with, for they were afraid. I don't know if you're afraid. I am gripped with anxiety and fear, especially the way we're living. I don't know where you are, but I do know it ended with they were afraid. They turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. It didn't end with them being afraid. They confessed Christ, they believed in Him, and they served Him. You know, what will you do? What are you going to do with the good news? What will you do with it? That really is between you and God. You know, will you surrender? Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. A strong Christian. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ before. Maybe you started out strong, and now you look back, you look back and you could see what a mess your life is. Because you said, maybe said a prayer one time or, or you did something and then all of a sudden you look back and your life is a complete and absolute mess. And you can't see God anywhere. Emma shared um, a quote with me from a song. And it, the song's quite long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But hopefully I get the right parts from it. It's from Jeremy Camp. And basically it says, when I've met my match and there's nowhere to go, heart under attack, no hope on my own, I break and I tear, spin out of control, the burdens I wear like weights on my shoulders. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And then it continues, so find me here as I surrender. And I just think this morning as we end, and I'll give you an opportunity to pray, wherever you are in life, and you think about repentance, just surrendering to God and accepting that great gift that He has given us. It continues, I need you to do what only you can do. Only you can fight for my life when fear's got me surrounded. Only you can. Only you can keep me believing when doubts got me drowning. Of course, there's no one else who can calm this storm And there's no one else who can save my soul. Only you can, only you can, God. I lift my hands up to the only unstoppable King. The one who can see far beyond things I see. And in the moments when I've lost the strength to believe, I won't give up. Listen to this. I won't give up on the only one who won't give up on me. God will never give up on you. Lord, find me here as I surrender. Now as I close in prayer, there's no magic prayer. There's there's nothing that I could say or nothing that I could do. Again, it's between you and God, wherever you are. And just asking God to be your Savior, be your Lord, be your Master, and to help you and to guide you and to direct you. So let's go to prayer. And as I do pray, Just remember that the only way, the only way to God is through Jesus. Now, if you're you're thinking in your heart, 
I would really love to make things right with God. Where you are right now, in your home, in your car, wherever you are, just you and God. Just pray to Him as you would to a friend, to God, to the One who has control over your soul, your heart, and your mind. Just pray to Him and He will hear you. You may pray something like, Dear Lord Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for Your forgiveness. I believe You died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent and invite You to come into my heart and my life. And I want to trust You and follow You as my Lord and Savior. In Your name, Amen.